Welcome to the weekly worship podcast from the Presbyterian Church in Morristown, where we pause our busy lives to dig deeper into our faith. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe, or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Let's listen to how God might speak to us today, and remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters. Friends, what a joy it is to celebrate, Earth, to celebrate Easter together. So let's uh, now move to our second reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Hear God's word to us today. After Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here For he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them on the road and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Grant, O God, that only the truth be spoken and only the truth heard. Amen. Like so many of the stories from the Bible, the Easter story varies just slightly between each of the four Gospels. In the Gospel of John, it's Mary Magdalene who goes to the tomb early on the Sabbath morning. There is no earthquake, no angel descending from heaven to tell her that Jesus has been raised When she sees that the stone has been rolled away, she goes inside. Actually, she doesn't go inside. She doesn't go inside. She immediately goes and finds his disciples, and the story then progresses from there. In Mark, it's Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a woman named Salome who brought spices, which they used or were planning to use to anoint Jesus' body. And just like in John, the stone was already rolled away. But these three women, they did go inside the tomb, and there they saw a man dressed in white who told them that Jesus had been raised. In Luke, it's mostly the same as Mark, only you get the sense that there were more than just three women. There was another woman named Joanna who was also there, but Luke refers to the other women who had been also traveling with Jesus. And it it wasn't just a man inside the tomb who greeted them, but two men dressed in dazzling white clothes who appear suddenly outside the tomb. 
So you see, they all tell pretty much the same story, but with these slight variations. Matthew, our text for this morning, is the only one that includes the part about the earthquake and the angel of the Lord descending from on high. And then you have these guards who who see what's happening, and it says they shook and became like dead men, but that's not included in Mark or Luke or John at all. And I remember being a certain age being old enough to realize that these differences existed between the various texts, and it bothered me. I couldn't figure out why all of these details didn't line up, why, if these authors were telling the same story, they told it differently. Was there an earthquake or not? Was the stone already rolled away or not? Did they go inside the tomb or not? Did Mary go alone or not? And let's not forget about other things that my developing brain found it difficult to wrap itself around. You know, things like resurrection. Somehow, when considering the pivotal moment of our faith, questions about who actually went inside the tomb or whether the stone was already rolled away, that seem a lot easier than somehow understanding how God made God's dead son alive again. If we are honest, these questions never go away, and they never get any easier, do they? We may develop the capacity to begin considering them, but this side of heaven, we never have the capacity to factually answer them. And we can either give up because we don't have the answers, or maybe we can dive deeper into the questions. We can resign ourselves to the futility of trying to to believe in things we can't prove, or we can own the fact that our faith isn't maybe about aligning or, or signing on to a set of beliefs. It's about taking a journey with the one in whom we put our trust. In the mid-1800s, a new technology was developed that allowed people to capture images using light exposure and special paper. The new technology opened the door to much more realistic images of people and things created much faster than painting. It was known as photography. And as you might imagine, it caused a sensation. But not everyone was so excited about the revolution. Vincent van Gogh, for example, famously hated it. He refused to be photographed, which is why there is only one existing photo of him, but there are 35 (laughs) self-portraits. It isn't easy to paint oneself, he says, but one seeks a deeper likeness than that of the photographer. In fact, Van Gogh had a memorable phrase that he used when describing photography. He called it delusional precision. The delusion in question was the notion that by accurately capturing the details of a person's image, one would be telling the truth about who that person is. As an artist, Van Gogh prided himself on capturing the essence of a person. For him, this was a mysterious and a spiritual alchemy. The scientific innovations of photography didn't impress him. They they didn't tell the whole story, but they purported to know everything, and that from Van Gogh's point of view, was a delusion. So this morning's text from the Gospel of Matthew, and one of the little other slight variations in Matthew's account of the story is the way it begins. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. 
I actually love that idea. Whereas Mark and Luke tell us that the women went that first Easter morning with spices in order to anoint Jesus' body and prepare it for a proper burial, Matthew simply says that they went to see the tomb. They had journeyed with Jesus, listening as he taught, watching as he healed, very likely serving the crowd of, of growing disciples and followers right along with the other twelve. And now their friend was gone, all too soon and all too violently. It's sad and it's heartbreaking when you think about it. They went to see the tomb. For all of my questions about the little variations between these versions of the story, I can't help but think of all the questions they must have been asking themselves. How could this be? Was he not the Messiah? How, how had he done all of the miraculous things if he weren't? But how could he be dead if he were? It's comforting to know that they probably had their questions too. Starry Night is Van Gogh's most famous painting. But listen, listen to his description of the night sky. It often seems to me that the night is even more richly colored than the day, he wrote. Colored in the most intense violets, blues, and greens. If you look carefully, you'll see that some stars are lemony. Others have a pink, green, forget-me-not blue glow. It is clear that to paint the night sky, it is not nearly enough to paint white spots on blue-black. You get the sense that that Van Gogh really means something to this whole delusional precision thing. It was not enough to recreate the sky as, as a paint-by-number quilt of blue and black because that doesn't capture the sense of wonder that a person might feel standing underneath a vast midnight sky, neck craned back, mouth agape, stars swirling behind a slow motion of streaming clouds. Van Gogh painted Starry Night in 1889 from a room inside an asylum in southern France where he spent 12 months recovering from a mental health crisis. It was inspired by his room there. And get this, he likely completed the painting in a single day's work. Because we know which room Van Gogh worked in, we know that this image is also a composite of the view from that window as well as several other landscapes he had previously painted. He combined different vantage points as well as different colors to create this iconic work, one of the most famous in the world. One of my favorite biblical scholars says that it is a modern distortion to think of faith as believing. We can't help it, of course. That's the way most of us were raised. No matter what Christian tradition you come from, it is part of our collective heritage. If you want to be a Christian, you need to believe in the Bible. You need to believe in God. You need to believe in Jesus. And if you want to join the church, you need to stand up before God and everyone else and affirm these things that you believe. But is that what faith is about? Believing. Marcus Borg, that biblical scholar, says you can believe all the right things and you can still be a jerk. <laughs> you can believe all the right things, he says, and you can still be miserable. 
If we're honest, these questions, they never go away, and they never get any easier, do they? So what if faith isn't primarily about believing? What if faith is about trusting, about hoping, about following? What if faith is having our questions but following Jesus in the world, not in spite of them, but because of them? How had he done those miraculous things if he weren't the Messiah? How could he be dead if he were? And isn't that the promise that we celebrate today? He is not dead, but he is risen. In his book, Matthew and the Margins, New Testament professor Warren Carter writes, maybe, just maybe, the women went to see the tomb because Jesus said he would be resurrected. Maybe they went to the tomb that morning because they actually expected to meet the risen Christ. The text says that they were afraid, but it doesn't say they were surprised. Maybe these women returned to the tomb having faith in what Jesus had told them, perhaps knowing that the story wasn't going to end there. What if faith is having our questions, but also not getting so caught up in the little details as if it really matters whether or not the stone was rolled away already or if there were an earthquake? What if faith is having our questions, but somehow in the depths of our hearts, also trusting that God might be forgiving and loving and that God's grace is big enough and strong enough to include even us, the the confident among us and the doubter alike? What if faith is having our questions, but also hoping against all hope that things work together for good through us? One of my favorite people said, Faith isn't about believing what you can't prove. It's following who you can't deny. Faith isn't about believing what you can't prove. It's about following who you can't deny. Following Jesus, living this journey of faith with our questions and all, it it isn't easy and sometimes it's downright scary, which is sort of what makes me Think of this other little variation that's included only in Matthew's gospel. Sensing the fear among the women at the empty tomb, the the angel says, do not be afraid. Bold words for those of us who are trying to follow and trust and hope. The questions, they stack up, and it is our modern impulse to want clear answers We are afraid of mystery, but Van Gogh might call that delusional precision. What if these mysteries and differences are actually meant to complement each other, to provoke us with their contrasts, and to invite us into a deeper understanding of the story? I mean, have you ever thought about how wild it is that our Bible includes four Gospels that more or less tell the same story, but with Sometimes little, but sometimes significant differences. No one in the modern world would create such a text, right? But the earliest Christians were unbothered. And that is precisely what Van Gogh is up to when he paints a night sky. You throw it all on the canvas and suddenly, instead of a precise account of Jesus' resurrection, a historical event separated from us by thousands of years... We have these gospels and the bewildering sensation of being there, that that longing and hope and the questions about how can this be? 
And maybe, above all, it leaves us with a desire to follow and to find out what happens next. Perhaps the opposite of a starry night is a morning dawn, like the first Easter, like this moment right now. For us here at PCM, what happens next is an embrace of these questions and a new sermon series that starts next week. We're calling it A Thinking Person's Guide to Faith. Over these next several weeks, we'll be diving deeper into our questions and and most especially exploring some of the things that can be stumbling blocks for us. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Is it okay to have doubts? How do we reconcile Jesus' teachings about wealth with how we live today? What happens to us when we die? So friends, if you are here with your questions this Easter morning, do not be afraid. Know that you are in good company. We are a questions church, not an answer church. A journey church, not an answers church. And we seek to follow this risen Lord wherever he will lead us, trusting that the God of grace and love goes with us, hoping that together we might do some good in this world that God loves. Don't try to believe what you can't prove. Simply do your best to follow the one you can't deny. And you know what? He's not here, for he has been raised, just as he said. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening with us today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Visit us at www.pcmorristown.org or find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook to stay connected with our church. But most of all, remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters.